Yo, this is Rob Harvilla from 60 Saws That Explain the 90s, the world's greatest loopy and perverse and inaccurately named music nostalgia podcast. We're doing 90 songs now because there's too many songs. Pearl Jam, Jay-Z, Jewel, U2, Cher, Hootie. These are just some of the names people yell at me on the internet because we're back. More great songs, more rad special guests, more loopy perversity. Join us once more on 60 Songs That Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. It is Monday, October 31st. Happy Halloween. Taylor Swift returned with a new album last week, and some of these stats are pretty unbelievable. Midnight's debuted at number one in 14 countries, and she became the only artist to have five albums debut with over a million units sold in their first week in the U.S. Midnight's even sold 575,000 copies on vinyl. Yes, vinyl. The largest week in that format since tracking began in 1991. But Taylor Swift is 32 now, almost ancient in pop music terms. And when you look at the big chart toppers this year, it's a lot of the same people. Bad Bunny, Drake, Adele, Beyonce, Morgan Wallen. Who are the young pop stars that matter to the music business? What are the labels thinking about in terms of breaking new artists? Well, it turns out there are fewer new hits and fewer new artists making them. According to Billboard, the number of new acts in the top 10 and the Hot 100 has declined a lot in the past few years. From 2001 to 2004, over 30 new artists cracked the top 10 annually. In 2019, however, only 15 first-timers reached that top 10 status. And 2021 had the lowest number of new entrants of the 21st century, just 13. There are still hit makers that are young and new. Steve Lacey's a good example. He had bad habits that got to number one in the Hot 100. But I'm not sure I'd call him a mainstream pop star. So why is this happening? Part of it is just the demise of the monoculture, the differences in how people consume content digitally, the anonymity of TikTok, maybe the fact that there's just way more music nowadays to sift through. But there's more at work also. You may have ideas too. Email us always at the town at spotify.com. Lucas Shaw is here. He's our normal Monday morning guy, and he's written a lot about the popularity of music right now and what the labels are thinking about. The labels play a big role here. So today, Lucas and I are going to talk the fracturing of the pop music landscape and why there are fewer pop stars than there used to be. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw, head of the media group at Bloomberg and Taylor Swift, 1989 originalist. Welcome, Lucas. Great to be back, Matt. All right, so let's talk about pop stars, your favorite topic. Yeah, we have a we have a monthly pop star ranking. You do? Yeah. Who's number one right now? 
uh, well, I haven't done the latest ones, but I Bad Bunny's basically been number one all year. Your favorite Bad Bunny. Um, there, there is a sense in the music industry, and I think there was a piece in Billboard a couple weeks ago that got to the heart of this, that there are a lot fewer new pop stars these days. And we're going to get into some of the reasons why, but there's a, a quote from a manager in, in Billboard that says, it's a bigger and more level playing field, and everything is getting lost. Does that just mean that the fractured media environment that we have seen in the television world, in the movie world, where there's no monoculture and there's nothing, nothing breaks through and everyone has their own channel and their algorithm and their specifically tailored content, is that just now coming to music where we all live in our own little algorithmically amplified echo chamber and there's nothing that can break through on the level of a Taylor Swift or Adele or Beyonce these days? Yeah, so I, I I I think I don't really buy the premise that there aren't new pop stars. Uh, in fact, one would argue that there are new music musicians who matter more new musicians who matter every week, month, year than ever before because there's more music being released than ever before, and it's much easier for people to reach an audience, whether it's via streaming or social media, than ever before. But what has happened is you don't have the same massive stars that get produced, largely because of what you're talking about with kind of with with fragmented culture. We don't all go to the same place uh, to discover new music. You know, it used to be that if a a band played SNL, or if an artist run a, a late night show or certain radio shows, they'd right. reach almost everybody. And now they just don't. I do think that there's a little bit of a a little bit of a, a twist when it comes to music because of TikTok and a lot of the concern right now is sort of specific to that app and what its impact is on the music business. Yeah, we'll talk about TikTok in a second, but eighty thousand tracks a day are being uploaded to hundred a hundred thousand. It's 100,000 now. I believe it's 100,000 songs a day. Spotify has more than 80 million songs, more than four, maybe now more than five million podcasts. There's just so much out there. Right. So it's all about discovery. And this is a topic that, you know, we get into this when we talk about what breaks through on streaming video. I mean, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery has said, we've entered... We've left the age where it was all about volume and getting stuff out there. And now we're in this age of curation and finding the best stuff. And in music, you're right. Like it just is a, it's always been a more niche media. I mean, it used to be if you were over 40, you never bought albums. You never went to concerts. You just were, you excluded yourself for the most part from music culture. Now with streaming services, I think people who are older are staying connected to music they like and are discovering new artists, but there are not those breakthroughs that become the pop stars that dominate the industry. And that's what has really led the music business for most of its history. I mean, most of the money is made on a few stars. Can I present the counter to this though? Because it's the problem I have when I, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I, I hear the same thing from my sources in the music business all the time, but let's go back I don't I, three or four years, Billie Eilish you know, small building for a very long time, then explodes and is the biggest star in the world within 12 months. Dua Lipa, 
building a small following for a few years, explodes, now one of the biggest stars in the world. Bad Bunny, who we've talked about, building a following for a few years, explodes, now one of the biggest stars in the world. I don't totally buy... Harry Styles, Harry Styles. I, yeah, I don't necessarily buy this idea. Olivia Rodrigo, we, we don't have Exactly, we don't have these huge stars coming up and they come, if anything, they break faster than they ever did because of social media and they can break big. I just don't know that they're as kind of they're they're not a, a, as all consuming in culture where everyone has heard of them right like I'm someone who pays a lot of attention to new music so I remember when Dua Lipa was was becoming big now I happened to write about her early so I knew about her before I might have in a normal circumstance but she performed at the Grammys the year that she won best new artist and I had friends who were texting me like who the fuck is Dua Lipa now uh you know that spoke to me spoke to the fact that we're not all consuming the same culture but there's, there is still an ability to get really big really quickly. The, the challenge is there's more noise and more people in your way before you can get there. Um, and then sustaining it is harder because you're just competing for attention with, with everything. You know, YouTube and, and Spotify are these platforms that they, they don't distinguish between the high and the low, between the, the, you know, the, the professional and the not. They're just, they want as many people uploading as possible, and then they monetize every everybody almost equally. Like, the middle and the bottom are as important to them as the top. Right, and you see these music labels bulking up on volume of songs. They're not necessarily putting the money into breaking the acts big as they might have a generation ago. They're putting their money behind the volume play, which ultimately for them makes money in the aggregate on streaming, right? Yeah, well, look, it, the important thing to remember about a music company is that it's not it's it's not that different from a, a TV or a film studio. They spend all this money creating the new product, and then they're they but they make their profit from the catalog. So you right. you spend billions of dollars developing new artists or developing a new TV show or developing a movie. You release it. You hope that when you release it, like those big hits, obviously make money. But the thing that really serves as sort of the underpinning of the business is that over the long term, you know, Universal Music Group, Sony Music, Warner Music, they have these catalogs that can generate listenership and cash without them having to spend a bunch of money. There is concern, I think, that people spend so much time chasing the new, chasing the TikTok star, chasing whatever it is, um, that they've sort of lost the the soul of the business. But that's a, a whole other story. <laughs> uh, here's another quote from this Billboard story. It used to be it was four or five things. And he's talking about what you need to do to break an album. Now you need four or five things a week or at least a month or else your streams don't go up. I mean, that's tough. I mean, in order to stay in the culture, you have to constantly be out there. It's like people talk, why are these musicians posting all the time? It's because if you don't, people forget about you. And you know, I, I agree with you a little bit in that it is easier to break, but... Your definition of breaking, I think, is more muted than mine. I'm talking a mainstream pop star, and you're just saying someone that people in the music industry will pay attention but to. But no, but listen to the names. Like Billie Eilish, mainstream pop star. Dua Lipa, those are the, main, yes, those are the stars. You're right. Mainstream pop star. Bad Bunny at this point, mainstream pop star. Harry Styles. I'm not going for you know people that I love who are simmering beneath the surface, whatever. I'm talking the big ones. I'm not saying it's easier. I just don't think, it's not like it's not happening. It's obviously harder because there's, there's more competition than ever before. Yeah, and those Billboard stats don't lie. I mean, half as many new artists are breaking into the top 10 of the Hot 100. 
So that's something. Yeah, we did a story, or I did a story, if, uh, I forget if it was before or after the billboard, doesn't really matter, all about how long, but the counter to that is how long, fewer songs are getting in, but also how long certain songs are You're right, are I read that story. You were, you were basically saying that it, it, the songs that get in stay there longer because they get momentum on streaming and they're on all the playlists. And and, and because just the way that streaming works, one of the re, one of the challenges that it used to be, you know, you put out, you put out an, an album and for, one, you'd, you'd kind of release singles sequentially, right? So you'd usually only have a couple of songs on the top 100 at a given time. But also all your album sales would be con more concentrated towards the beginning because you only get a benefit when they buy it. You go home and listen to it. You're not getting credit for that. You get credit if it's played on the radio, things like that. Um, but now you're streaming and you're just always, it's always playing. And not only do you get credit on the Hot 100, you get have credit on the album charts and you have all the songs out there for consumption at any given time. And so it means that when something breaks big, when you have a Taylor Swift album, a Bad Bunny album, a Harry Styles album, not only is, you know, the hit single staying at the top forever, but like eight songs are on the top 100 for months. And so that does crowd out some yeah. of the other players. Yeah, I've heard people talk about how on on albums now, you, you used to put the, the best single up front so that you would get people in. Uh, and then the rest of the album didn't really matter because they've already bought the album. Now it's about sprinkling the hits throughout the album so that you get the plays on all of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, usually the usually for these huge pop stars, the first single is is not the the best song. Right. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Uh, let's talk about TikTok because it's hard to have any conversation about music consumption these days without talking about what's going on on TikTok. It is the by far the number one referral for music in general and new music in particular. But looking back at this this Billboard story, there's a quote from a manager who says there's there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to what breaks there. And without breaking there, it's difficult to say what else can be a, can cause a big moment to happen for anybody. So basically, he's saying you absolutely need TikTok to be successful, but there's no way to game it. There's no way to say what's going to be huge. You just sort of have to put it out there and hope for the best. Is that what they're saying? I, I would say that TikTok is sort of where YouTube was, I don't know, eight five years ago, 10 years ago, where it is where kind of a lot of the culture starts. But yes, because it's not built around on, you know, on YouTube, an artist would release a music video and they would only need to, and then they wouldn't need to be posting all the time, all that stuff. TikTok feels a lot more random because you need other people to pick up your work. Right. Um, it's it's not as much about you pushing. It's about you like finding a way to insert the song into the culture and having it organically or not, uh, you know, get a following. But that's terrifying for music labels because you can't control it. It's not like the days where you had some sway over the five important pop radio stations, or you could get a song on MTV, or you could get a song into the Spotify 
playlist uh, or Apple's New Music Fridays, it's it's much tougher when you are leaving it up to an algorithm controlled by a Chinese company that is dependent on active users around the world that you have nothing to do with. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, on the one hand, it's, it's, it's kind of great because it will also bring back old songs from the catalog, which, and kind of revive them like what happened with Fleetwood Mac and dreams. Mm -hmm. But yes, if you're, if you're a marketing executive or you're an A&R executive at a record label, A&R's artist and repertoire, sort of the people who sign and develop and work with the artists, um, you know, you are more reliant on this app that you can't control than you would like to be because most of the time, it used to be that if you were signing an artist, you know, some of it would just be luck or happenstance. You walk into a, a venue that you you trust and you see someone and you like, you go to a festival, things like that. Now, most of these people are looking at the charts, they're seeing what's popping on TikTok, they're seeing what's popping on Spotify, they sign that person. And then when it comes to actually pushing the music, you know, kind of kind of good luck. Um, it, uh, there, there, there is a, a lot of chance involved. I'm sure that a label exec would come on and say that they have a science behind it. I was going to say, like, so what do you say in that meeting? Uh, you talk to a lot more music executives than I do. What do you say to that artist in that meeting when they, when you're giving your pitch on how that you, you take them from, you know, doing okay to doing great to becoming the next pop star? Well, you point to all the success you've had. If you're Interscope, right. <laughs> slash, if you're Interscope Geffen, you say, Olivia Rodrigo, look at what we did. Yeah. If you're Warner Records, you say, Dua Lipa, look at what we did. If you're uh, Republic, Post Malone, look at what we did. Uh, and and on and on and on down the line. I mean, there's a lot, you know, lots of examples of it. Uh, if you're Atlantic, you know, Cardi B, Ed Sheeran, we, Bruno Mars, we've helped all these people get big. Look, the role of the label has... We spend a lot of time, or the music industry, I should say, spends a lot of time debating: is the label dying? Like, what is the what, what streaming was supposed to end the record label? Social media was supposed to end the record label. All the things that the label does, their roles have been curtailed a little bit. You know, they, they do a little, like we discussed, some of the A and R and the scouting people happens on TikTok. Some of the marketing happens right. on social media. Artists can do the work themselves. But the one thing that they continue to do that nobody has really cut them, where nobody's really cut them out of the process, is they st they're basically like a bank. They spend a bunch of money to bet on a bunch of different artists, or a venture capitalist, if you will. They bet it on a bunch of different artists, and then they do put in a lot of effort to try to break those artists. They help connect them with producers. They do all these different things. Some artists decide they don't need it. But for the most part, even the biggest artists, the Taylor Swifts, the Beyonce, they, they see some value in a record label. Exactly. Taylor Swift had her choice when she was, you know, making the break from her previous label. And a lot of people thought she would go independent, do her own thing. And then boom, universal music. Yeah. What is, uh, what is your, uh, what is your, your TikTok consumption like? Mine is minimal. I, I have the app. I, I'm a little afraid of it because I don't want the Chinese government to know a lot about me and my consumption habits. Uh, so it's not, I know producer Craig is on there pretty much all the time, right? Uh, probably a relatively unhealthy amount some days, yes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but do you discover music there, Craig? Well, the problem is, is that while, yes, I think that the most popular songs going around in my, like, friend circles and th group text, all these songs come from TikTok. However, the problem with TikTok is that they do a great job of making these songs very nameless and faceless. I don't know who sings half these songs. Half the time, they're mashups. Um, so all I know is when I'm at a bar and I hear a song come on, I go, oh, 
That's the song from TikTok. I don't know who that's sings it. That's the song it. from the girl falling down the stairs or jumping up and down. Yeah, so I think that's a huge problem right now is I a lot of these new songs that are kind of bursting into onto the scene are, are nameless and faceless to me. Yeah, and how do you correct for that if you are trying to take a viral song and turn it into a career? I mean, that's tough when you don't have, I mean, it used to be where, you know, someone would say the name or you could go right on your playlist and say, oh, that's so-and-so. Or if you're on Pandora, it would you could push a button and it would play more music like that. Uh, it's a little tougher in the TikTok universe. Yeah, I think it's one of the scariest um, kind of scariest challenges confronting these people with every or confronting label executives, confronting artists. Usually, you know, whether it was MTV or YouTube, you were putting your face and your name forward in front of the song. And now your name is associated with somebody dancing in their bedroom and and people may not even know other than the little kind of the little line that scrolls across the screen. Uh showing saying what the song is who you are where it comes from i mean the, I, there are a lot more one-hit wonders i'd imagine and does the, do the charts bear that out i mean i imagine they do and that's probably why we're getting this stuff i mean look at give give us some people who have broke like like that steve lacy song was a big song this year. where did that come from uh well steve lacy was um a member of this group called the internet uh mm-hmm. or is is a member of this group called the internet really good sort of uh i don't know like mix of like R&B, soul, electronic music, just, but one of those bands that was like on a lot of critics lists, but people, but wasn't super popular, but uh, released a solo album and that song, Bad Habit, just took off. So what, how did that song take off? That's the question. TikTok was a big, all TikTok. I mean, not all TikTok. Look, it's, it's always dangerous to give TikTok too much credit. Yeah. Okay. But you know, what happens with a lot of these cases is like, okay, maybe it starts to trend on TikTok and then the playlist curators at Spotify notice that and they start to put it on, boost it on playlists. And then as it goes up the Spotify charts, the radio programmers start to do it. All this stuff is like, w- once people start to listen and it builds momentum, that momentum can build very quickly. And then it's just a matter of like riding that wave and and seeing how long you can keep it in the culture. It's like what happened, I mean, similarly with, I mean, there's, there's other ones, like I wrote a, about this song last year that was, I think, yeah, late last year, there was a big hit called Love Nuan Titi um, from this singer CK. It was the first song from Africa to like, top a lot of these charts. And it was like they had had a song, a version of it that they liked. And then someone did a remix and it started to trend on TikTok. And they started making a bunch of different remixes and seeding it in all these different places. Then the next thing they know, this song is in the top 10 on Spotify for months. Hmm. Um, but that person has not had a huge follow-up. So. Oh, that was my next question. I was going to say, yeah, let's talk to that person in five years. All right, so do you ultimately think that we are headed into an era where there are going to be fewer mainstream huge pop stars, fewer Drakes, fewer Adeles, fewer Beyonces, fewer Taylor Swifts? I mean, I think we're already in it. I don't know how, like how much, how different or how much worse it gets from here. But but I you know I I think the stars are generally a little bit smaller. The number of people who can sell out a stadium it's a very short list. I think the overarching question is: Is this a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> I don't. I think it's. I don't think it's bad necessarily for the music business because it gives a lot of people a chance. I feel like it's bad for the culture. I mean, not to get not to get political or anything. I just feel like. Uh, you know, we talked about the monoculture earlier mm-hmm. and there is some value in having a shared culture and like no liking some of the same music as other yeah. people liking some of the same shows, having common things to talk about. 
Well, I think that's honestly why these things like the Taylor Swift album are so big. It's because there are so few things these days that everyone has heard of and everyone can kind of participate in. And you at least know whether you like her or don't like her. You know when a new Taylor Swift album is coming and you know what it is and you can test it out and have an opinion. It almost doesn't matter if the music's good or not. It's just nice to have something that you and everybody you know is listening to and can talk about. Yeah, totally. Definitely. Although the thing I would like to know, and I've done a little bit of research into this, but I haven't quite figured it out, is if I, I would I would guess that the big hits, like the Taylor Swift's of it all, are still smaller in a way than they used to be. Um, they they feel big because it's so rare to have something that everyone like that is talking to. But I would guess that as a share of overall listenership, meant times, all that, it's smaller. Just because of the volume is so yeah. big. There's so much stuff. Just like how in TV, you know, House of the Dragon is a huge show and it's great to have a show like that that a lot of people are watching. But it's smaller than any of those big hits were on broadcast in the 90s. Sure. I mean, you know, we're talking about Friends or MASH or something getting, you know, a 50 share of the audience of all TVs or something like that you know, in the 70s. Uh, all right, Lucas, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet, my daily prediction. Craig, have you been watching the Hocus Pocus movies on Disney Plus? I have not. Movies, you with just the two, right? There are two, yes. The, the, the Hocus Pocus, which I believe is 30 years old now, early 90s, and Hocus Pocus 2, which reunited all of our favorites in a new movie that came out on Disney Plus earlier this month. I'm interested. What is your prediction about Hocus Pocus? I'm, this is... So clearly this franchise does not speak to you, but it spoke to a lot of people. The numbers on Hocus Pocus 2 that were released by Nielsen this past week were pretty staggering. 2.7 billion minutes viewed in its opening weekend. By far the biggest movie debut ever in the history of the Nielsen streaming chart. And my prediction is that when we get the full month of October numbers, that this is going to be the biggest movie debut of all time. The biggest movie debut on streaming of all time since these Nielsen yes. ratings have been released? Yes, first 28 days. You Typically, you judge movies. Netflix has a metric where they judge movies and shows after 28 days. And then mm. they release numbers saying this is a, you know, in our top 10 for the past 28 days, biggest all time, that kind of thing. Uh, given the numbers that we saw for the opening weekend of Hocus Pocus 2, and given the fact that October is... Halloween, and I think a lot of people are watching this movie over and over again or coming to it uh, in, as part of their Halloween festivities. I think it's going to give it an even bigger boost, and it's going to play throughout the month and end up being one of the biggest movies of all time and probably the biggest movie of all time. In wow. Does this factor in like when a, when a Marvel movie goes to Disney Plus? It totally does. Yeah, it's insane. I don't understand. This is not a franchise that spoke to me either. I saw it as a kid. You know, I, I liked it, I, you know. Yeah, but like there's a lot of movies out there that people like. And there's, you know, these. this is competing with the Netflix movies that are on there. You know, Gray Man, $200 million movie did not do these numbers in its opening. Um, I, 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 I just think it's the perfect mix of the fact that Disney Plus has a lot of subscribers, that there is a nostalgia factor for this franchise. They got the original cast together. Um, I don't know what the reviews are, but I think this movie does not really ride or die on reviews. And uh, I think it's just like perfectly timed. It's crazy. Well, and not only that, 
there's not a ton of Halloween movies typically, or if they are, they're usually very scary movies. You know, there's not like right. family friendly yeah, Halloween it's a, movies. It's a family friendly Halloween movie, right? And you know, October feels like the first month of the holiday season, and when you get closer to Christmas and this, and Thanksgiving, all the Christmas movies and holiday movies start coming out. But right now, they're kind of in that sweet spot where all that stuff isn't coming out yet. But there is still that thirst for like holiday content, and that's what Hocus Pocus brings. Yeah, I think Nightmare Before Christmas also does that around Halloween. People get into that every year. It always trends on Disney Plus yeah. uh, when it's there. Uh, I just, it, it, this was a shocking development given all the movies that have gotten such big promotion and, you know, especially the Netflix movies like uh, Red Notice. And So you're saying this is the, going to be the biggest month ever for a movie on streaming? I, that is what I'm saying. Wow. And we will see. We will see when it comes out. Okay. But, uh, and and we will, as always, hold me to account on my predictions on the show. Um, all right. That's the show for today. I want to thank Lucas Shaw for coming on. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck. And I want to thank you. We will see you on Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.